Good morning. Let's try that one more time. It was kind of unbalanced. Good morning. Oh, I like that. All right. I moved here from Texas almost 24 years ago. When I came here, I loved this place. There's only two things from Texas I missed. First thing is warm winters. And number two is bluebell ice cream. Have any other transplanted Texans here? All right. I see some of you out there. Well, you guys remember the tagline if you were in Texas a long time ago from a little creamery in Brennan. And so when I came here, I missed it. Now, somebody who's new to Kansas will say, Mark, you just, you know, it's out there. It is now, but not until, you know, just a few years ago, we got bluebell ice cream. And I used to try to tell Kansas how good it was, and they just look at me and like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and that brings up a thing with me today that sometimes it's tougher to have had something and lost it than never had it at all. It's, it's tougher to experience something really, really good and then not get it anymore than to not even know what you're missing. And the reason I ask that question, bring that up today is I want to ask you a question is this. Who's the unhappiest person in the world? Christ followers could say, well, it's somebody who's never known Jesus, never known the love of God, never known what it's like to, to worship in an experience like we're experiencing today. It, it would be somebody like that who's, who's never really accepted Christ as Savior. And, and truly, someone who hasn't accepted Christ doesn't know the happiness that a Christ follower knows, but he or she doesn't know what he's missing. But I think the unhappiest person in the world is somebody who has accepted Christ as Savior, really experienced God in a powerful way, and then runs away from God, which doesn't mean that God leaves us. God always holds on to us. But they run away from God, and all of a sudden the things that they used to enjoy in serving God are not there anymore. Um, they miss the worship service. They miss really getting close to God. And there's something that happens to us who are Christ followers. When we get away from God and we start living in ways that we know are counter the way God wants us to live, the problem is that we, we kind of lose our, our desire to be close to God because it reminds us of what we've lost. Uh, I, I hear something all the time here at New Springs. People will tell me at New Springs, they'll, they'll say, one of the things I love about being here is just the worship experience. And, and people will say things to me like, you know, when, when Lance and the team are leading worship, I'm just out there and it's like my heart is so full. And, and when you're talking up there on stage, Mark, it's like I just cry all during the service, but I feel good. And I walk away and I just feel so wonderful. Let me tell you what's happening at that moment. You are experiencing worshiping God. Lance and I love you very much. We love you with all of our hearts and we work very hard. But I can tell you that neither one of us are capable of producing what you're talking about. The, the band and the, and the praise teams, they're, they're wonderfully talented, but they can't produce what you're talking about. You know, what you're talking about is knowing God. And the reason I have a shirt up here is in, in between the 930 service and 11 o'clock service, a young lady brought me this shirt and gave it to me. And she said it reminded her of, of me. And it said, join me for happy hour every Sunday morning. And, and it's saying, you know, it has the scripture that says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what you experience when you come here is happy hour. And I look forward. I get to do it three times, Saturday night, twice on Sunday morning. This is the happiest hours of my week, and I love being here. It's just something on a very deep level. But when we run away from God, we miss that. We, we, we kind of lose our desire to be with God's people. We lose our desire to hear a man or, or someone talk from the Bible. We lose our desire to participate in worship because we get kind of cold on the inside. Some of you who've been at New Spring for many, 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 many years will remember something that happened a long time ago, probably almost 25 years ago, at our old location. Our previous pastor was speaking, 
and he, he was giving his talk, and, and it was like in the middle of the service, and, you know, you're, you're just kind of hoping that there aren't no, inter, you know, no interruptions and no sound that, you know, causes people to, to lose focus or lose attention, and it's just like one of those moments, and all of a sudden, the back door opens up, and in walks a guy, and if you saw how he was walking, you would have known very clearly he was drunk, just drunk out of his head. So he started coming down, the, you know, coming down the aisle toward the front, and he got about halfway down. We figured he was looking for a seat, but he just kept coming. He got closer and closer and closer. Finally got to the front pew, and our pastor realized that the guy was planning on coming up on stage. He was so drunk, he was like headed up on stage, I guess to give a talk or whatever. So the pastor, real smart, real fast thinking, he called one of the deacons who was sitting toward the front, and he said, hey, Bob, would you come help this gentleman? Would you take it? We had some back rooms behind the worship center. It's kind of a small place back then. We said, we had some back rooms. He said, Bob, would you take this guy to one of the back rooms and pray with him? So Bob got up from his seat, very gently but firmly grabbed the guy by his arm and started ushering him around the altar to the back room. And the rest of us could hear him all the way back because he kept yelling out, but I don't want to pray. <laughs> but I don't want to pray. <laughs> That's what happens to us when we run away from God. What we used to enjoy, what used to be wonderful for us, that, that, and, and, and this is the reason why I think sometimes when people run from God, they run very far from God. Our, our, sto- our, our series is called Running. And it's taken from the book of Jonah. There are four chapters in the book of Jonah. I'm giving you four talks, and we're looking at running in a different way every week. Last week, we looked at running away from God. Today, we're going to be talking about running to God. But here's Jonah, and we saw this last week, and at the risk of being redundant, let me just kind of like carry you through what happened last week. Jonah was a, the Old Testament equivalent of a pastor. He, he gave talks for God. He was a prophet. God told him what was going to happen. Jonah laid it down for the people. Jonah's name means dove, and I get the idea he was kind of a, he was a guy that didn't like conflict. He just liked everybody being happy. And God had given Jonah some very peaceful messages. The people of Israel were going to get some land back. They had had some land taken away, cities taken away by, by foreign powers, and Jonah's talk, his message was God's going to give it back to us, and, and it happened, and so Jonah was very popular. And he was, he was loving that gig. One day God said to Jonah, I got a little change of assignment for you here. I want you to go to a town, and I want you to preach. I want you to conduct some evangelistic outreach services over here in this town. It's called Nineveh. Bang, right out of the box. Jonah didn't like that. Nineveh was the most wicked city in the world. A lot of money going on. I mean, a lot of business happening. People drunk, high out of their minds, sleeping around. It's crazy. And these were mean people. They devised all kinds of ways of torturing people. If you read history, they were just brutal. And beyond that, Jonah would have clearly known that outside by the front city gates, there was a big pile of skulls and bones of people who had brought in things to Nineveh that were not politically correct. And it was just a signal for anybody, lest they come in and upset the apple cart. And so God said to Jonah, this is my plan for you. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I've got a message for you. Tell them if they don't straighten up, I'm going to blow them away. And Jonah's saying, I don't think that sounds like me. (laughs) Maybe you got another boy over there that's, my name means dove. I don't, I don't do that. I, I do pleasant things. I don't do God's going to blow you away if you don't straighten up. But you know, it's very hard to negotiate with God. And God said, that's the job. I want you to do that. So Jonah starts running. In chapter 1, he starts running away from God. He goes down to the place where people catch boats or ships to travel. And he buys a ticket. And the boat, he buys a ticket is going to Spain, 2,500 miles away, as far as he can get away from God. 
And so he gets on the boat, and Jonah thinks, this is cool. Everything's fine. I've settled this. God's not talking to me anymore. I'm not hearing his voice. Everything's going to be just fine. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what God wants me to do. I, and he bought a ticket, got on the boat, went down. The you know, sun was shining. Breeze was rocking the boat. Jonah goes down to the bow. He, he falls asleep. But the Bible says that God was upset. And God hurled a wind, the Bible says, onto the Mediterranean, started a storm, and the storm was so bad that these seasoned mariners on this boat were scared to death that they were going to drown. And they were all freaking out, and they were praying to their gods, trying to figure out whose fault it was that they were in this wretched storm. And they all settled the fact that it wasn't their fault. And they figured out maybe it was that dude down in the bottom of the boat they didn't know. Maybe he had done something wrong. He had offended his God, and they were all in trouble for it. So they went down and woke him up, and they asked Jonah, and Jonah said, yeah, I'm the guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I go to that New Spring Church. I know I'm not living like it right now, but it's my fault. And so they said, well, what do we do with you? Because we don't know your God. We don't know, what, we don't know what's going on. And Jonah's saying, well, the thing you need to do is just throw me overboard. Just kill me. Just, just shoot me. Just get rid of me. I mean, because after all, he didn't follow God. His plan didn't work. Jonah said, I'm, you, I, you may as well just throw me away. Throw me in the water and let that be the end of me. And the guy said, we don't want to do that. And finally, though, the storm wasn't getting any better. And the, these guys prayed. And they said, God, we don't know who you are. It's not our fault this guy's on our boat, but he's messed up. And I hope you don't hold it against us that we're having to throw him overboard. And they pitched him overboard. And that's where we left it last weekend. Because Jonah's flying through the air, lands in the water, and I think he's thinking to himself, nothing else can go wrong today. But he hits the water and he goes under, and God sends a limo to pick him up. The only problem is it has to be an underwater limo. I don't know if it was a fish. I don't know if it was a whale. I'm not sure what it was. We'll find out when we get to heaven if we still care. But the Bible says God prepared this fish a well, and it swallowed Jonah up. And that's where he is. He has run away from God. God had a plan. Jonah said, I don't like your plan. I'm running. He got in trouble, got thrown overboard, and now here he is in a fish. Now, here's what I want to do, if you don't don't mind. I want to read the entire chapter 2. I want to read it from the message. It's a real, real short chapter, but I want you to read it, and then I'm going to pick about two or three things out of it, and we're going to go home. So here we go. Let's pick, let's look at Jonah chapter 2 out of the message. Then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish. He prayed in trouble, deep trouble. I prayed to God. He answered me. From the belly of the grave, I cried help, which by the way, that's a good prayer sometimes. I I cried help. You heard my cry. You threw me into the ocean's depths, into a watery grave with ocean waves, ocean breakers crashing over me. I said, I've been thrown away, thrown out, out of your sight. I'll never again lay eyes on your holy temple. See, what we miss more than anything, a lot of times Christians think, well, if I run away from God, he'll punish me. What you and I will experience, that'll be the worst thing we experience if we run from God, is we'll miss worship. Jonah said, I'll never get back to your holy temple. The ocean gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root. I was as far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. Yet, you pulled me up from that grave alive, O God, my God. When my life was slipping away, I remembered God, and my prayer got through to you, made it all the way to your holy temple. Those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, Walk away from their only true love. But I'm worshiping you, God, calling out in thanksgiving, 
and I'll do what I promise to do. Salvation belongs to, the God, to God. Then God spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on the seashore. Let's take a look at two or three of these lines and see what they say to us. Number two, verse two, Jonah said, in trouble, deep trouble, I prayed to God. How many of us have prayed to God in trouble? In trouble. I have. Why is it that it's so easy when we get in trouble? I mean, here's the thing. Why don't we pray like this? And some of you may, and if you, if you do, you're very, very wise. But when everything's going well, and you've got money in the bank, and your job's going well, and your kids are all healthy, your parents are healthy, and you're in school and making good grades, and wh- why is it that we don't just say, God, this is so cool. Everything is working so well in my life. Clearly, there has to be somebody bigger than me pulling all the strings. It must be you, God. So I'm just going to come and talk to you today and say, God, I don't know which direction to go, but would you just please help me? Why do we not pray like that? Let me tell you what we tend to do. We tend to just rock on. Now, we would never articulate this, but it's almost like we're saying, God, I really don't need you. Everything's cool right now. But man, you get a phone call from your doctor and the person there and says, you know, when you were in here the other day having your physical, there was something just wasn't right. And we're not really sure what's going on. We need to get you back in here for some tests, maybe a biopsy. Whew. What was God's area code again? You go to work at, at the plant and it's like you get there and, and somebody's waiting there for you with security saying, we need to escort you back to your car. You, you don't have a job today. Or that person you thought loved you more than anybody else in the world is talking about walking out and getting a lawyer. Where's God? I'm in trouble, deep trouble. There's something about at that moment that we just, it's very natural to cry out to God. Why does trouble have that effect on us? And, and I was thinking about this on the way into the worship service today, and I never can articulate these things the way I want to, but I'm going to take a crack at it anyway. I really believe deep down inside, we feel like trouble changes our relationship with God. When everything's going well in our lives, we just really don't need God quite as much. But when trouble comes, we actually feel like it has changed the the very essence of our relationship with God to the extent that now all of a sudden I feel like praying all the time, and God, please help me. Here's one of the greatest truths I'll ever tell you. Trouble does not change the dynamics of your relationship with God. Trouble just reveals what they really are. You need God very much when the sun is shining. When you're healthy and you feel good and your job is going fine and people love you, you you need God. The problem is there's a filter on our realization of our need of God. You need God very much. Trouble, what trouble does is trouble just moves that out of the way. And all of a sudden we realize how much we needed God all along. You and I were not meant to live lives by ourselves. In my office is very valuable antique. It's a very, very old portrait. And every time I look at it, I remember the story that's behind it. Seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, we used to be on the radio every day for 30 minutes. It was just archived messages that I brought over the last 20-plus years. There was a young man in his early 30s, extremely wealthy, huge income, only worked part of the year. Had everything going for him. He was single. It looks, cars, boats, houses, vacations, all the stuff that people think they want. He was on his way to commit suicide. And I have no idea why, other than God, 
He's driving in his car on his way to take his life. Turns on the radio. Here's our broadcast. I was doing a series that I did maybe 10 years ago on the Holy Spirit. And I was talking about how that when Jesus went back to heaven, he left the Holy Spirit. Because he was telling us that we can't live life on our own. He left God's Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And, and so the line I used was, you can't do this. You can't live life by yourself. And that's all he heard. And he listened to the end of the broadcast. And, and when he got to the end of the broadcast, he found out we were local and, and stopped his car and called our church. And he got one of the secretaries and he said, is this the church with a pastor who says you can't live life by yourself? And she said, it sounds like my pastor. He said, do you think he would talk to me? She said, I know he would. Tuesday, on Tuesday afternoon, back in my office on the side, he came into my office and I shared Christ with him. He got on his knees and received Christ as his Lord and Savior. And it wasn't long after that that he, he followed the Lord in baptism and God just did awesome things in his life. He lives in another state now. But before he left, he, he, he knew that I was a fan of a particular figure in history and he left me that portrait. And every time I look at it, I remember there was a guy whose life was turned around by just one line to a guy that had everything that this world thinks is important, the line that turned him around was, you can't do it by yourself. And all of you, could I say the same thing today after all those years? Could I repeat, could I reiterate that message that no matter how talented you are, you can't do it by yourself. No matter how smart you are, you can't do it by yourself. You were made to live life with God's help. And without God's help, trouble will tell you where you are. And that's where Jonah is. He's saying, out of trouble, out of deep trouble, I, I call it to the Lord. Sometimes we make fun of people who call on the Lord when they're in trouble. We call them jailhouse conversions. We call them 11th hour conversions. But praise God for any hour conversion. Praise God for anybody who realizes their need of God, whether in a prison or a hospital or anywhere. You say, Mark, I'm just now seeing God and I'm in trouble. Well, thank God for the trouble. Because now you're seeing how things really are. See, Jonah over here, when he was doing his gig for God... He was kind of thinking, I can sort of do this as long as I like what I'm doing. But then when he ran from God, he's saying, I'm going to do this my way. Well, his way got him in the middle of the ocean, swallowed by a fish. And now he's saying, okay, God, I'm about ready to do things your way. In trouble, in deep trouble. Take your Bible one more time, Jonah chapter 2. Find the middle of verse 6. I was as far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. Yet you pulled me up from that grave alive. Don't you love his language? Jonah said, I was as down as I could, far as I could go, and I could hear the gates shutting behind me. And that was his way of saying, my opportunities were just were going. It was like the last possible moment. And yet Jonah said, I cried out to you. Now here's the reason why I'm bringing this text up. Some of you out there are saying, Mark, you do not know how far away from God I have run. You don't know the people I'm with. You don't know the things I'm doing. You don't know who I'm sleeping with. You don't know what I'm drinking. You know what I'm shooting. Mark, you don't know where I am. I have run too far away from God. God cannot find me. God can't help me. Now listen, doesn't it make sense? If he could help this guy in the belly of a fish, God can help you wherever you are. It doesn't matter who you've, who you've been with. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gotten away from God. God, as we saw last week, loves you too much to let you go. And here's the deal. The scripture, and I just love what the scripture says. The Bible says God's arm is not too short to save anybody. In other words, God's arm is long enough to reach you wherever you are. You say, well, Mark, I've done all these things wrong. God's, it's not what you've done. It's how long God's arm is. 
Jonah said, I was at the bottom, but you rescued me. Let's move on. Verse 8. Those who worship hollow gods, God frauds. I love the way the message says that. God frauds walk away from their only true love. Now, this is very, very important. Because here's the reason why many of us who are God followers run away from God. We run away from God because we feel like God hasn't been what he should be. We run away from God because somewhere back here, God didn't answer our prayer we wanted him to answer. God didn't do something we wanted him to do. And we feel like that God wasn't faithful to us. And so we start running away from God in order to punish God. I've listened to people who've said that. I've asked them, why are you here? Why are you doing all these self-hurtful things? Well, I'm angry at God, and he didn't do this, and so I'm going to punish him. I know this is a sensitive area, and I don't want to bruise anyone's tender, tender heart. But just being straight with you, God is a very hard person to punish. And like, the, like Jonah said, those who worship God frauds walk away from their only true love. If you walk away from God... Who are you going to? I try to, keep it, I try to keep it really honest with you guys because I want you to know when you listen to me talk, you're not listening to some spiritual legend up here. I'm just like you. I wrestle with the same things you wrestle with. It was about two or three years ago. I got really angry at God because God hadn't answered a prayer that I, I believed he had committed to me that he was going to answer. And I'd prayed and prayed and prayed, and I knew I was praying in God's will. It was like nothing was happening, and I was so frustrated with God. And I could still see myself on, in summer, a summer night about 1 o'clock in the morning. I was on my deck, and I was praying to God. And it wasn't one of those happy prayers, stained glass prayers. I was really angry at God. And, and I just kept telling him I felt he'd let me down. And, and I just sort of like crossed the line in my prayer. I can't believe I said this. But I was so frustrated with God on my deck. I said, God, I've got three sons, and I wouldn't treat any of them this way. That was like saying... I mean, I, I didn't mean to say this, but there was, a tacit, there was a tacit statement there in which I was saying, I thought you were better than this. And, and if you hear, if you just like pick up on what it was saying, what I was saying, it was like I was saying, I'm better than you. What a stupid thing, right? Wasn't that just stupid? I mean, like instantly. The moment I prayed that prayer, I said, I wouldn't treat any of my three sons this way. It was like the Holy Spirit said, well, if you're not going to talk to God anymore and trust him, just where do you plan to go for help? I just got on my knees there on my deck and said, Lord, that was really stupid. I'm so sorry. I know better than that. And I'm, just to give you the rest of that story, about six months later, God answered that prayer in the most creatively wonderful way, far smarter than I would have ever thought of, in God's perfect timing. And I drove over to the side of the road and just said, oh, God, I'm a fool. <laughs> so stupid. But at the moment, it sounded good. Because, see, I was like running away from God in my heart because I was mad at him. I was angry that he didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted him to answer it. And I'm just telling him how I felt about him. And I may be talking to somebody here, and you may be very angry with God, and you've gotten cold and far away from God, and you don't talk to him anymore, and you don't want to pray, and you don't want to worship. And it all goes back to somebody that you prayed, and God didn't heal that person. That person died. Or you asked God to let you keep your job, and you asked God to keep this relationship going, and somehow you feel like he let you down. And so now you're punishing God, and you're running away. Let's just go back to what Jonah said one more time. He said, those who worship God frauds walk away from their only true love. 
Well, there are three things, that verse, verse 9, three things Jonah says he's going to do. And so if, if I'm talking to anybody here tonight or this morning and you're saying, Mark, I have run away from God and I want to get back with God. I want to be back where I used to be. Could I just tell you two things? Number one, the way back to God happens real fast. It may have taken you years to run away from God. You can come back to God just like that. It's a very short road. All that matters is your will. The second thing I want to tell you is there are three things that Jonah did that work. Look at verse 9. He said, I'm worshiping you. Listen, if I was away from God and I was out of church today, I got to tell you what I would miss more than anything else, just to be honest with you. I would miss worshiping at New Spring. I would miss what happens in my heart when I stand here and worship God and sing. Because if something's transformed. How many of you, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand anything. How many of you know Christ is your Savior and you love him with all your heart and you know it's transformed? It's more than just standing here and singing a song. It is life-changing because when you pray and wor- when you worship, there's somebody other than, on the other end of your worship. And Jonah was missing that. He wanted to get back to the temple. He wanted to worship, but he's in the belly of a fish or a well. <laughs> you know what he did? Even though he was in that well, he turned that place into a place of worship. I may be talking to somebody. You may be in jail right now. You may be watching me on television. You may be in a hospital somewhere. You may be home. And and you say, Mark, geographically, I'm not where I want to be. Wherever you are, you can turn that into a place of worship. Here's what worship says. Worship says, God, you are worth everything to me. It comes from the old English word, worth-ship. Worship is just telling God he's worth something. See, many people, God has no value in their lives. But it's different with us. We worship. And Jonah said, you know what? When I ran away from you, I didn't think you were worth much. I'm running to Spain because I don't want to do what you want me to do. But you know what? Here in the belly of the well, I have had an attitude adjustment. And the way I look at it, you are worth the world. And so even though I'd like to be back at the temple, I'm going to turn the belly of this fish into a worship service. That's number one, worship. Number two, Jonah said, I'm going to thank God. He said, well, Mark, how powerful is Thanksgiving? If you've run a long way from God, the reason might be what I talked about happened in my life. It could be that you decided somewhere back there that God wasn't good or as good as you thought he might be. If worship says, God, you are worth something, Thanksgiving says, God, you are good. I may be feeling bad. I may be dying. I don't know what's going to happen in my family, but no matter what happens, you are still good. Number three, Jonah said, now let's read it. I'll do what I promised I'd do. Now, for all of you who grew up in church, I want to talk to you for a minute, okay? And me. Those of us who grew up in church are often far better at talking than we are at living. And we learn to talk, don't we? I mean, you know, we're at work. We can talk to our friends about the Bible because we've learned a whole lot about the Bible. And, and we can talk about God, and we can talk about prophecy, and we can talk about this, and we can talk about that. But many, listen, here's the deal. Many of us who are talking over here are living over here. We can talk the Christian life. We can talk about the Bible but the people we're with and the things that we're doing and the stuff that we're thinking, the way we're using our money and the way we're using our resources and talent, the way we're living for this world, even though we're talking over here, we're living in a life that's away from God. And that's what happened with Jonah. He was a pastor. He was talking a good game. 
He said, I'm going to do what I promised. In other words, he'd been promising. He'd been talking great stuff. But Jonah's saying, finally, I am going to get my life matched up with my talk. If Christ followers want to do one thing that will transform this world, it's just that one thing right there. You say, Mark, we have to get the right people elected. That's not going to do it. Mark, we have to make new laws. It's not going to change it. If you and I want to impact the world, let's just get our lives matched up with our talk. That's all it takes. Jonah said, I'm worshiping you. I'm turning the well's belly into a worship service. I'm thanking you. You're good. And I want to get my life matched up with my talk. And the moment that he did that, the Bible says God pushed the eject button on that well. And the well ejected Jonah. What happened when Jonah did those three things? Listen, God spoke to his circumstances. Many of us need God to speak to our circumstances. Because like that whale had Jonah, our circumstances have us. And God is sovereign and God is in control. And what I discovered in my life is that when I quit blaming God, and when I quit intimating that God wasn't good, and I knelt before God and said, God, no matter what happens, you're right. Even though I believe you've promised to do this for me and you haven't done it, you're still right. You're still good. What happened? It wasn't long after that that God spoke to my circumstances, and he transformed things in ways that I could not have ever dreamed. I close today by saying this. If you've been running away from God... Flip the arrow and run to God. It's a very short trip. And guys, let me tell you this. In thousands of years of recorded history of God followers, you ready for this one? God has never told a daughter or a son no who has said, I want to come home. No matter what they've done or where they've been, God has never told one of his children, no, you can't come back home. We serve an awesome God. Let's pray. A few moments ago at the beginning of the message, I said that if you've never accepted Christ, you don't know what you're missing. And it could be that you're here today and you say, Mark, I've been religious, or maybe you've been not religious, but at the end of the day, you, 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 you could say, I, I don't really know that I have a relationship with God. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Well, we don't want you to to leave here today without having the wonderful gift of eternal life. It is a gift. The Bible says it is. It's not something you join a church to get or you're baptized or you do good stuff to get, community service. It's a gift. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Scripture says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never called on him today, I want to give you a chance to pray and receive Christ as your personal Savior. Many have done it already this week. At 9.30, we ran out of salvation packets that I'll tell you about in just a minute. It's okay. We've got some more. We're ready to go. So many have accepted Christ this weekend. If you've never accepted him, I want you to be one of those people. Because all that God's looking for is just a yes. He's just looking for you to open up your heart and accept him, to let him become your Savior. So I'm going to pray a prayer. I'll pray it slowly so that if you mean it from your heart, you can repeat it after me. And if you do, God will hear your prayer. You ready? Jesus, I know I've done wrong. But I believe you died for me. I believe your blood paid for my sin. 
Today I receive you as my Savior and my King. Thank you for what you just did in saving me in Jesus' name.